Get ready for comedy. Elmo's horny. Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. <laughs> and poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius. More well endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. And now, the one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. Hello, hello. It's Adam Sank again. You're listening to the ass. Today is Sunday, October 22nd. And we are back. And Ryan Frostig is back as my co-host. Hi. Yes, the studio audience loves him. Ryan and I are still discussing last week's show with the incredibly beautiful Kevin Israel and Mike Sicoli. It's fabulous. I have to say, like, they're so hot. And, like, I became... So missed opportunities, though. What do you mean? I mean, we should have at least offered, or we should have (laughs) asked them to take their shirts off. Or their pants. Sure, their shirts are their pants. But it's I'm I'm actually embarrassed by my own behavior. I feel like I became this like nervous little girl around them because they're no. so sexy that I couldn't think straight. Like I lost my train of thought several times. Mike Sicoli was right next to me and he's really strikingly beautiful in person. But they're also like such down to earth, like nice cool guys. guys. Like even if you were like that, I'm sure they loved it. Yeah, no, he's just, he's they're super nice guys. They're great comedians. Um I thank them again for being on the show. And um, it's as if they just left. I know. It really is. They're, they're, they're musk lingers. I'm still thinking about just the way they looked over at me and... Didn't have any interest, any interest whatsoever. Um, we are back again without Katie. Katie is still off uh, vacationing or um, doing community service or something of that uh, nature. And we, JB is, is once again in the driver's seat. Um, JB, how are you feeling this week? I'm alive, you know, just chilling, just chilling, you know, the use. Do you have game. Chipotle in your mouth? I, I do, you know, I do. Yeah. JV loves his Chipotle. What's your favorite thing there? Um, I love their chicken. It's so it's so good. I don't know why, but it's just so delicious. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I can't cook chicken as of right now because of lack of kitchen. But yes. when I do have a kitchen, I'm fucking me up some chicken. Are <laughs> you one of those people like Ryan where you have to add like ridiculous amounts of hot sauce to everything? No, I only add hot sauce when it calls for it. Thank like, you. It, it, that's it, legitimate. If the food is bland as fuck, it's only some hot sauce. Okay, it's only also, some type of hot sauce. Let me just say that, like, I went... Get closer to your mic. I I, I get real close. <laughs> I went my entire life not using hot sauce. So once I realized that it was this, like, amazing thing that you could add to your food, now I'm just, like, I any opportunity that I have to add it, like, that makes mostly makes sense... I'm going to use it. I'm so opposed to it. I don't like really spicy things anyway, right. but I feel like as a cook, as someone who likes to make good, delicious food, when you add hot sauce to something, you're just robbing whatever you've made of all of its actual flavor. And all you're going to taste is the hot sauce. But sometimes it enhances, it just, it just, it adds something. It depends on the kind of hot sauce. Like I have this habanero sauce I got from Trader Joe's. It is way too hot. It ruins everything. Like I might as well just. Somebody brought hot habanero salsa to my house the other day. I, I was having people over and I asked someone to bring chips and dip and he brought, you know, regular corn chips. And then this like hot habanero salsa that was so ridiculously spicy 
that there was a black guy in my apartment and even he said it was too spicy. <laughs> so you know it's too fucking spicy when a black guy doesn't like it. Um, by the way, uh, <laughs> apropos of nothing, don't call us. We are not live this week, but you can tweet about us using the hashtag ass. As always, you can email me at adam at adamsank.com. I do read and respond to every email. I appreciate your feedback. Uh, some of it I can't mention on the air, but I do read it and uh, I appreciate it. And we have a great show coming up today. Our guest is, it's our very first author that we've ever had on the ass. We've had TV stars, comedians, hookers. We've had actual hookers. But this is our first author, and he has a brand new book of short stories out called How to Survive Overwhelming Loss and Loneliness in Five Easy Steps. David James Parr will be joining us in the studio very shortly. Um, But before that, we have much to discuss. And the first topic, Ryan, is that According to Men's Health, straight men are paying total strangers to critique their cocks. I mean, I feel like that makes total sense to me. Like, What? Not that I would do that, but for like a straight guy, I don't know. I just feel like they're so like, size is so, I mean, we think that we're size queens, I think that straight guys are like... The we should have asked Kevin and Mike about this last week. Yeah. Penis critique is a lucrative business, according to Men's Health. Uh, some heterosexual men are snapping photos of their manhood and sending them to a cabal of critics. It's a whole group of critics who will rate their endowment for a small fee. I just want to say to any straight guys listening, I'll do this for, for free. free. You don't got to pay me. And you're quite the critic when it comes to peen. A woman named Evie Bellini, a.k.a. the Banana Butcher, says that she offers up to three paragraphs uh, of uh, three paragraph appraisals for $20. For an extra 10, she'll provide a custom-made nude video reaction to your dick pic. I don't understand that at all. Wow. Uh, apparently, she takes her time on these reviews. She examines length, girth, grooming, veins, oh my God. and balls. I hooked up with a guy Friday night who I've been with before for many, many years, actually. He's an old, old fuck buddy. And he kept complimenting my veins. You know, how, where do you stand on dick veins, I Ryan? think that in general, veins kind of freak me out. Like on arms, whenever I see like a really big buff guy and he's popping, bulging veins, that that is not sexy to me. Um, I have some prominent veins on my dick, so oh. I, I'm not going to like judge someone else's dick veins but i'm not i don't really feel one way or the other about yeah veins. It, it's not it's not gonna like i mean I, I i'm more concerned about like you know we were talking about um crooked dicks yes because you had a crooked dick in spain did I, you know i almost had a crooked i was i was um i was there was a crooked dick you that was conversing to, with a crooked yes, dick yes uh courted by a crooked dick and i just don't know how that would feel feel like i mean i just don't know you know where it, ha- it would have to be crooked to the right way where it just gets to that right spot to the g spot otherwise i hooked up with a guy once and his dick looked exactly like gonzo's nose it like curled under there that was nothing horrible. you could do with it yeah nothing useless dick you couldn't suck it you couldn't get fucked by it i mean my dick is not big but it's totally straight and right. pretty, right? And apparently has nice veins. Same. And I would rather have that than have some big, crooked, weird ass dick. But like, do you think that those people that have the crooked dicks are those 
the clients? Like, are those the people that are going? Who knows? Do, do you think that they want to know? Like, do you think they want to be told your dick is too crooked? I'll tell you what. I think guys who are truly self-confident don't give a shit. Right. Like, they don't care what their bodies look like. They don't care what their dicks look like. It's those of us who are so, like, insecure and trying to be perfect that, you know, must have, like, affirmation from someone else to tell us. Right. I, and also, like, as a gay guy, we know how our dick looks. Because yeah. we've seen hundreds of other dicks right. so we can compare them. But I, sure. I guess if you're a straight guy, you don't get close to another dick. Sure. And, and all you see is porn, which is completely unrealistic because right. everyone's fucking nine inches, you know. JB, just, do you have anything to add? Um, veins. Go back to the veins. I, I love a bulging vein. Like, I feel like veins tell you that... They just tell you that dick is strong. They connote yes. strength. Yeah. They, that and, cock and, has and, come to Right, play. it's strong. And even veins on the muscles, like, you a strong man. Like, yeah. you would throw me around and do things. I'm all about these veins. All right. Like, uh, my boyfriend got veins. I'm like, yes. He's strong God. dick. Well, apparently I have nice dick veins. Congratulations. Thank you. Speaking of straight guys, um, Queer T had a, had a, a little article about this uh, Canadian comedian who I've never heard of before named Peter White. And he basically broke down homophobia and what homophobia is, why, straight guy, why some straight guys feel it. Um, and, uh, and I liked it. And I thought he was funny. So I, 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 I uh, had JB cut a little soundbite. Here's uh, comedian Peter White talking about homophobia. I get angry at that. I've had friends of mine come up to me just furious because some other guy's trying to hit on them. Just so mad. Just, did you hear what that son of a bitch just said? Said he wanted to take me downstairs, show me a good time. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know if you're allowed to be mad at that. <laughs> That's like being mad at somebody for trying to give you a bunch of money in the wrong currency. I just don't get it. I don't get when straight guys are weird around gay guys. I don't understand it. And I, I got friends like that. You know, I grew up in rural Canada. I got friends who would never go to a gay bar. Friends who say things like, oh, I just, I wouldn't want to go to a gay bar. I just, I wouldn't want to be around all those gay guys. They're like, well, why not? Well, because what if they try to have sex with me? It's like, well, then you'll understand how you make women feel. Uh, and, <laughs> and second off, just say no. If they try to have sex with you, just say no. What do you think? If you say no, they're going to hold you down and force it on you? I like him. Yeah. He's funny. I mean, that's like the biggest thing about, you know, straight guys thinking that every gay guy wants to have sex with them. I mean, if they're hot, we do. Right. But, but it, it's nothing's going to happen unless so they... There's so straight guys that are not hot. Yeah. The ones that are most homophobic are usually fucking hideous. Right. And no, no gay ass. guy wants them, and they have no. And that <laughs> is a deal breaker. We know how me. important the ass is to Ryan. Ryan yes. is very ass. I should be an ass critique. Like yes, if there's a dick critique. I will be an ass critique, and I will give them. She said three paragraphs. I'll give five. You'll give, <laughs> you'll give endless paragraphs. Yeah. explaining what's going on with the ass. Wait. Um. So my thing is, uh, I I've run into lots in my past that the ugly ones are the most homophobic ones and really the, the really hot straight ones are kind of the ones that are, that are really into the curious and like oh sure i'll let you suck my dick and that's how i got away in high school with a lot of curious men you had your fun with oh the, yes with the bi-curious straight man oh yes and that and now you have a bisexual boyfriend so it all comes full <laughs> circle <laughs> you know i think truly like really hot sexy guys like kevin israel and mike sicoli going back to last week are totally comfortable Right. With gay guys thinking that they're hot because it's a compliment. End of story. 
Right. It's just a compliment. Yeah. It's like, oh, people find me attractive. Great. Right. They're not going to do anything with us, and they know that, you know, And also, that's fine. Also, I feel like, I mean, you know, I, we met the, I met them for, for an hour, but I also feel like they'd be the kind of guy that would, like, if they got close enough with you, they'd, like, put a hand on your ass, or they'd, yeah, you know. Yeah, Kevin's it, real huggy with me. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just cool. They're affectionate guys. It's all um, speaking of men who are hung like donkeys... You know I love me some animal stories, JB. We always do crazy animal stories on this show, and this is one of my favorites of all time. A donkey in Germany mistook a sports car for a carrot and tried to eat it. Really? That's the donkey. Great. A German court has ordered the donkey's owners to pony up 5,800 euros to the driver of a pricey McLaren sports car, apparently there's a kind of sports car called a McLaren, mm-hmm. to cover the damage caused when the animal chomped on the backside of the vehicle. <laughs> the donkey's name was Vitus. Vitus. Or Vitus, V-I-T-U-S. Police say that Vitus may have mistaken the orange McLaren, which was parked next to his enclosure, as a giant carrot. When he bit the back, damaging the paint and a carbon fiber piece, a news agency reported that a state court on Thursday sided with the car's owner who filed suit after the donkey owner refused reimbursement for the incident last September. At the time, local media reported that the owner of the donkey told the McLaren owner he should have picked a better parking place. (laughs) Go. Don't park your orange sports car next to my donkey. Vitus saw that car and he was like, Zam, that carrot is huge. Zam, carrot. <laughs> he was like, this is it. In a related animal story, in Pittsburgh, 10 goats and a donkey escaped from a park. <laughs> this is such a weird story. <laughs> All right. So apparently goats are sometimes used to clear parks of debris. Because, you know, goats will eat anything. Like me. Uh, like Ryan Frostig, goats will eat anything with or without hot Shade. sauce. Shade. <laughs> so, an Allegheny County 911 supervisor said that a call came in shortly after midnight that a loose herd of goats was running down the street. Um, after breaking free from the park on September 25th, they had been eating invasive vines um, in preparation for trail development through this rather large park in the Brighton Heights district of Pittsburgh. Um, A public safety officer escorted the animals. Now, there were, I don't know why there was a donkey as well. There were uh, a bunch of goats and a donkey. Maybe the donkey was there to (laughs) keep them company. But an officer escorted them back to the park. Uh, There were no signs of property damage. Uh, Apparently, a deer, (laughs) this is a complicated story, a deer had run through a section of the goat's fencing and created a hole during the night, and they all just walked through the hole. Uh, when the herd was grazing back in August, someone damaged their electric fence and stole equipment that powered it. Another incident in the same park involved teenagers who tried to ride the donkey, Hobo, and also assaulted him with rocks. Which just goes to show you that teenagers in Pittsburgh are fucking assholes. (laughs) But the goats and the donkey are safely back in the park, chewing away at the vines and the other debris. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, me that too. That they use goats. Whenever I think of goats, 
I think about remember like a couple years ago when it was that big like viral trend of like goats being inserted into like songs. There's that Taylor Swift song like <laughs> I knew you were trouble, and then, and it would be like um, dun dun ah, ah, trouble trouble. That's whenever I think of well, goats. Well, my my favorite uh, version of that was South Park had this amazing episode years ago where um, Stevie Nicks was supposed to perform for the troops in Iraq or Afghanistan, and instead somehow there was like a mistaken identity, and it turned out to be a goat dressed in. <laughs> Like a Stevie Nicks outfit, you know, she wears these long flowing right. gowns and they, at the end of the episode, the goat actually performs in, for the troops in the Middle East and she's dressed like Stevie Nicks and she's like, just like the one winged dove sings a song, sounds like she's singing, meh, meh, meh. <laughs> and then they show one of the guys in the military and he turns to his friend and he goes, she looks fabulous. Oh my God. <laughs> so fucking That's great. So that's funny. All right. So that's our animal story du jour. Now we have to talk about uh, a man who comes up on our show far too often. Ryan, this is your first time co-hosting the As. Oh. But for some reason, every episode we wind up talking about Aaron Carter. Oof. He's always in the news. Now, when we last discussed him about two weeks ago, he had been on a show called The Doctors where he was actually tested for HIV on the show, got his results, was negative. Right. And negative for all STDs, but the doctors on the show warned him that he was terribly underweight and unhealthy. Yeah, he and terrible. in the meantime, in the in the ensuing two weeks, he checked himself into rehab, which is great. Right now, he's posting Instagram photos of himself since checking into rehab, and he has gained like twenty five pounds in just a couple weeks. So he posted uh, photos of him since the weight gain, and I have to say, his belly looks a little fat. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I think he went a little too far (laughs) in gaining the weight back. Listen, I just, like, it's so strange because, like, he was such a big part of my... Now, we should say Ryan is 26, so tell us what Aaron Carter meant to you, because he meant nothing to me. I mean, he was, like... He was like the boy next door, but like with a little bit of an edge and he was super fun and he had all of these like, you know, the songs that you would hear at like the school dances and it was just like, he was just like that like hot, cute, fun boy. Um, but he sort of, over the years, there, there was that reality show. Um, the Surreal Life? I want to say Keeping Up With The Carters, but that's, that's... Oh, that may have been it. No, no, it's it, it was on E. It was Nick and Aaron together. It was like... They wanted that to be Keeping Up With The Kardashians before Keeping Up With The Kardashians because it was it was him, it was Nick, and then they have some other siblings. Um, but he's sort of been unraveling, I think, for mm-hmm. a, a while now. And, um, you know, I just... I feel so weird about him coming out and being... I mean, I, I'm happy for him to to be, be living his um, most authentic life. Yes. But it just kind of all feels... It's just all happening at once. There's so many things. Uh, it's hard to keep track, and it's just a little disturbing. Well, he's certainly been in the news for a lot of bad reasons. But I, in all seriousness, I think it's great that he went to rehab. I think it's great that he went from 115 pounds. He's like six feet tall. Yeah, that's really he went from 115 alarming. to 145. He says he's continuing to focus on himself and his health. Um, he also, you know, the whole bisexuality thing may uh, not be really as clear as it was before sure um 
in a recent quote, he says, when it comes down to it, really, I had an experience when I was 17 with a guy, but now as an almost 30-year-old man, I'm going to be pursuing relationships with women. So, but see, the, who knows what the fuck like, is up? It's so bogus. I don't know. Whatever. I think the bisexuality thing may have been for publicity. Right. But whatever problems he was having were real. And, Absolutely. Uh, and now he looks better. So um, for him? good for him. Um, I found an article on my favorite website, Ryan. I don't know if you're familiar with cocktailsandcocktalk.com. Uh, you've, you've sent me a few links, but I'm not, uh, <laughs> I don't check up daily. It is a website that is literally devoted to cock and all things cock. Sounds there are great. articles about cock. There are pictures of cock. Um, not, it's not a porn site. It's more like when a celebrity is photographed with an obvious bulge in, in like his pants, pants, it will show up on Cocktails and Cock Talk, and I just love it. So they had a list of 10 male celebrities that have transformed into daddies overnight. Let's hear it. I know you like your daddies, Ryan. I'm ready Ryan. for this. I'm so ready. And I take issue with some of these. I don't agree that all of these are daddies. So I just want, I'm going to go through the list, and you tell me daddy or no daddy. Okay. Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, zaddy. Yes. Zaddy. He is so fine. He's like my number one. Okay. Ryan Philippe. Mm, yeah. Like, no. I think he's hot. He's I don't hot. think he's a daddy. No. Chris Pratt. Daddy. I say no. I think he's a young, beautiful, built muscle man. Daddy But not training? a daddy. Maybe a daddy in training. Okay. Okay. This next one, I think I know what you're going to say. Zac Efron. Uh, no. No way. Not a daddy. He's still in his 20s. He's a twunk. And yes, he's so fucking jacked. His right. body is fantastic, but he's still not a daddy. No. He's too boyish. Not at all. This one, uh, Will Smith. Daddy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Definitely daddy. What? You think? Yeah, he matured very, very well for... Yeah, he's matured very well. He's not that little uh, fresh prince of Bel Air. Do you find him sexy? I I found him. I liked his maturity when I watched Suicide Squad. I saw how they aged him out. I was like, yo, he could be really fine, have really fine granddaddy. Um, so I don't know. I guess I guess I'm a little turned on by that. Right. Maybe. Um. Yes, but also I just saw something recently. I guess there was an. I didn't watch every episode of um, Fresh Prince, but there was an episode where he is like supposed to be older where he like um they age him isn't that what jb was just saying was that what you no i was talking about uh like his his age now as a reference to suicide squad the movie oh, suicide yeah, this squad. was this yeah. was on fresh prince they okay like, they like made him older as like a you know in the future moment and you were like nine at the time <laughs> sure <laughs> but they just posted something that like will smith now looks like he did when they aged him on the show when he was like however old he it's was it's so interesting when they go back and do that you know in the color purple they tried to make oprah winfrey look 50 mm -hmm. meanwhile oprah winfrey is now 60 and looks so much better than Which, her character at 50 right. was supposed to look in color purple so people don't age really the way that they yeah. used to but um okay so that's will smith now this next one i argue was always a daddy he was never not a daddy right. gerard butler oh Come on. When oh, was he anything but? Zaddy. He, that movie 300, holy fuck. Those thighs? That movie is gay porn. If you haven't watched 300, gentlemen, you need to, you need to get It's pretty much gay on. porn without penetration. Oh, it's so I, hot. <laughs> yeah. Those men are beautiful. This next one, I don't know him very well, but he's a famous DJ, Calvin Harris. Oh. Um, 
That is not daddy. Not a daddy. That is not he's daddy. He's hot. I would definitely say he's hot. He could get it. But I he's think he's kind of boyish. Yeah. He's he the same category as Zac Efron to me. Exactly. Yeah. Agreed. And he's rumored to be fucking who? He's got like a lot of famous girlfriends, well, right? Well, he was with Taylor Swift for a long time. Okay. I remember um, he was with Ellie Golden too. Yeah. And, and uh, they broke up. And so a lot of the songs off her last, I think her last album were about. She about always has him. to write about her fucking She's failed relationships. Oh, I'm not a Taylor started. Swift fan. Yeah, me either. All right. This next one is Ryan Reynolds. Um, of the Ryans, it's like Ryan Reynolds and Ryan Gosling. I've always been a Ryan Gosling. I don't really get the Ryan Reynolds thing. Um, and I and I also would not categorize him as a daddy. But I he agree. Is an actual daddy. He's he, a father. He a father. Yeah, I don't consider him as daddy. Ryan, Ryan to me is he's mature, but not mature daddy level. I think he's gorgeous. Yeah, and he's also married. but very like sort of clean and preppy looking. Yeah. Not he's not edgy enough to be a daddy for me. He's also. Uh, the baby daddy of Blake Lively, who mm. I would definitely she's a beautiful woman, with. gorgeous woman, yeah. and and a good actress. Oh, he's yeah. like a headmaster kind of dress. Like, uh, yeah, like, he's real preppy. Yeah, yeah, I'll put him as headmaster. Yeah. All right, and last another one like um, Gerard Butler, I would say was never anything but a daddy. Is Tom Hardy? Uh, yeah, British actor. Yeah. Did you see that movie, The Fighter? No. Oh my God, he's really just one of the sexiest men that's ever lived. And there's always been sort of either gay or bisexual rumors about him, and right. I love it. Well, I mean, and also he's a great actor, which just makes anyone that's a great actor like a really solid actor is just absolutely. I would actually, um, I would add uh, Ben Affleck mm-hmm. to that list. I feel like Ben Affleck has transformed, and, and unfortunately, he's in the news right now for all the wrong reasons because <laughs> the whole Harvey Weinstein scandal. Yeah. Women are accusing him of groping. But Ben Affleck, when I saw him in, um, God, what movie? The Town. Oh, yeah. There are shirtless scenes where he's like working out and doing chin-ups. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, he's become Argo. Was he hot in Argo? Well, I mean, he was intriguing. Yeah. He wasn't really that was a great shirtless. Great, I mean, I think he's such an amazing actor and director. Yeah. Uh, Argo and The Town were both directed by him. I'm trying to think of like other daddies i mean matt damon to me is still boyish uh oh tom cruise will never be a daddy you know who's a daddy pharrell Hmm. and you know he's like i think he's like 45 he might be like in the late 40s now he looks the same like he has not aged okay but i don't see pharrell as a sexual being i don't look at pharrell and get worked up really with that hat and everything well am i thinking of the right person yeah, you are. Where's that silly like yeah. forest ranger like, hat? If you, if you saw a picture of him completely stripped, like th- th- there there are pictures of him from like ten years ago where he's just like shirtless and his skin looks so silky and smooth, and he's just like, mm. yeah, he could get it. Who are like I'm trying to think of like Bruce Willis was always to me kind of daddyish uh-huh. when he was a young man. Tom Cruise, no, he's no. always he'll always be boyish. Um, um, when you were growing up, because Ryan's like twenty years younger than me, like who was like the hottest movie star? That well, you Brad know? Pitt, I would say, would be a daddy for sure. Really? Because yeah. to me, when I think of Brad Pitt, I think of the first time I ever saw him, which was in Thelma and Louise, when he was like twenty-five. Well, right, but and when he was I this first smooth saw him, young twink, right, and when I first saw him, I mean, he must have been like in his mid-thirties, right? And that's daddy to you? Well, he well now, <laughs> I mean, he like is 
he's like a he's got like a beard and he's like he's a little older and he still looks great but and George I like Clooney. young Brad Pitt George Clooney yes the ultimate daddy yes I, mean, I agree he's on. like a father figure yeah all right before we uh, interview our our guest today I want to hit one more list that I found and this one was on newnownext.com um, written by the wonderful Michael Musto. Yes. And uh, and and this interests me a lot because I've always been a television addict. And this is twelve gay TV characters who never said they were gay, by Michael Musto. Uh, now, as I was looking at this list, Ryan, I was thinking, wow, these are really old shows. They don't have any new shows. Yeah. And I and 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 then I realized why that is because right. on new shows, they they're, would just be gay. They're gay. Although, because um, I'm looking at these and I don't know a lot of these, but uh, SpongeBob. And Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants. Never watched an episode. But you is know Patrick Gay. I don't. You don't know SpongeBob SquarePants? Is he? Kind of, I know SpongeBob. Okay. I don't know who Patrick so they're is. Very, they're like, there's this sort of um, implied, you know, sort of thing that they're gay for each other, right? Um, and it's never discussed, but like they're sort of like, you know, lovers, right? And that that's sort of when I think about this kind of thing that comes to mind. But I'm. All right, so let's look at this list. The first one is a show that even predates me. I remember this show when I was little, but it was like too grown up for me at the time. It's uh, Lost in Space and Dr. Zachary Smith. He was this queenie doctor who wore a shiny silver bodysuit. Um, and uh, his, his co-star, June Lockhart, said she thought the character was gay. It was played by Jonathan Harris. This was in the late 60s. And he would always say things like... Um, you nattering nincompoop. <laughs> like he was one of those kind of gays. Right. In a similar vein was Mr. Belvedere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clifton Webb played the starchy English housekeeper on the uh, the sitcom that ran for a number of years. Um, I never really saw Mr. Belvedere as gay so much as I saw him as British. Right. Which is always like a little blurry, you know? Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to know the difference sometimes. Those Brits are very gay. Um, Number one of the numbers on the list. This is one of my favorite characters ever on television. Was Uncle Arthur on Bewitched? Are, did you ever watch Bewitched? Ryan? Uh, I know that was so before your time. Maybe on like TV Land once when I was scrolling through channels. It was a very campy show because uh, first of all, you had Elizabeth Montgomery as Bewitched, and she was just beautiful and fabulous and had all these like special powers. Her mother was Agnes Moorhead and Dora, uh, who was basically a drag queen, and her uncle was Uncle Arthur, played by Paul Lind who was always playing these very obviously gay characters and was very obviously gay himself, but it was never really talked about. I couldn't find a single usable soundbite of Uncle Arthur, but I did find Paul Lind on the Hollywood Squares, and this is vintage Paul Lind. Take a listen. When a man falls out of your boat and into the water, you should yell, man overboard. Now, what should you yell if a woman falls overboard? Full speed ahead. I grew up watching him on Hollywood Squares. He was really the first man that I knew was gay. Yeah. So so brilliant. Um, another one that I related to as a young child was Snagglepuss. Yes, I know Snagglepuss. <laughs> now, Snagglepuss was a pink mountain lion who was uh, seen on Yogi's Ark, as well as other Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And uh, I came across on YouTube this little... Um, montage, this mo- montage of Snagglepuss sound bites. He's pretty fucking gay. Take a listen. Oh, what a joyful day to frolic and play. 
What do you say to that? What do you say to that? I was captured in Cambodia while cavorting with a Cambodian. Anything you need. Name it. Name it. That's pretty fucking gay. <laughs> I mean, come name on. Name it. Name it. And the fact that he was pink. I mean, it was all right there for you. And finally, the last one I'll mention was Anthony on Designing Women. I need to get into this show. Designing Women was was a, a real camp classic in the same vein as um, the Golden Girls. It was basically a Southern Golden Girls with younger women, and uh, Delta Burke and Delta Burke right. and um, and uh, Dixie Carter, who was fabulous as Julie Sugarbaker, has some great speeches. And Anthony was uh, the one man in the regular cast. He was sort of like the assistant to these women designers. His sexuality was never really mentioned, but I want you to listen to Anthony and tell me if this sounds like a straight man to you. Excuse me, but are you just completely uncouth or what? Can't you see we're having a family reunion here? <laughs> These are my parents for crying out loud. <laughs> my brothers and sisters, their wives and husbands and all their children. And I don't think they drove all the way down here from Poplar Bluff, Missouri just to look at your ugly face. JB, does that sound like a gay black man to you? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. A very country gay black man. Right? <laughs> and Meshach Taylor, who played him, was straight. He was married to a woman, but man, that character was gay. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there's some sassy vibes. Very sassy. Yeah. You can uh, read the entire list on newnownext.com. It is now time to welcome our live guest. I'm so happy to have him here. He's the author of the novel Violet Peaks. His latest book is a collection of short stories entitled How to Survive Overwhelming Loss and Loneliness in Five Easy Steps, which is a long title. Please welcome to the ass playwright and author David James Park. Come on. Woo! Thank you. David, you've already helped yourself to some wine, so you're my kind of guest. I actually guest. couldn't work the spigot very well. Oh, did you? Uh, Brian, can you fill me up you? there? Yes, he will fill you. Our, pre- <laughs> our, our previous guest in the first hour uh, refused to drink any wine. Really? They were straight Weren't they guys. comedians? Well, yeah, straight you. comedians. And um, I think they were afraid that we were going to sexually molest them, a la Harvey Weinstein. Well, cheers. Which we thank you, which we tried to do. David, um, I read your book. You did? I read thank the you. entire thing from wow. beginning to end. It's fantastic. And you still had me on. I know. <laughs> it was a struggle. No, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful book. The stories are beautiful. Oh, thank you. But I have to say, almost every character is in either emotional or physical agony. Correct. Hence the title. Hence the title. So my first question for you is, are, are you okay? Oh, I am now after I write the book. It's cathartic for you to it write is, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Where, does it, where does that come from in, in, in your life? The, the pain? Or yeah. That? <laughs> um, uh, several things. I mean, I lost my mother a few years ago, so that mm. was really the impetus for a lot of these stories. Um, and also a really bad breakup that I went through. So, Which I think probably inspired the, the, the title, the title story. story. Yeah. And we should mention that that story uh, was chosen by Pulitzer Prize winning author Michael Cunningham as one of the top short stories in the uh, Tennessee Williams writing Correct. Contest? Is short short fiction contest. Which wow. is amazing. Which Michael, was awesome. Awesome because he's always been a role model of mine. So he's such an to amazing have him writer. be the judge was. Michael Cunningham, who of course wrote The Hours and A Home at the End of the World, uh, one of my favorite authors. Yeah. I mean, so a really sweet guy, too. Really? Yeah. So that must have just blew you away. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he called all the winners personally. So one day my phone rang and it was Michael Cunningham. And I knew I had entered this contest, but I had no idea when they were going to decide the judging or anything like that. So it was Michael Cunningham on the phone saying, yeah, you're a winner. So 
That, that, was, that so was pretty incredible. exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, actually. David, I am a writer by training, but I've yes. never been able to write any kind of fiction. What is what is your process? How do you sit down and create characters and events that haven't actually happened? Um, I have a lot of characters that live in my head, so <laughs> this is how I get them out. So I hear snippets of conversation usually is what inspires me. And I want to capture that conversation or the gist of that conversation. So I'll tend to fictionalize it and decide what's the, what's the crux of it and then go from there. So you're an observer. Yes. Comedians do that too. I'm always sort of watching people. And you make it funny. Well, I try. <laughs> it doesn't always work. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I'm watching, I watch people, I watch situations and I wait for something that jumps out at me and says like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And that's where I get my... Um, ideas from but do you do, do, do you is it characters that come to you first is it plot that like what? it's usually dialogue actually and I hang around with a lot of artistic people like actors and directors sure. and such who are very extroverted people so I and, hear a lot of interesting conversations and being, and in, being in New York like, yeah well yeah we're always surrounded by interesting crazy yeah even just on my way here I saw four or five different stories sure unfold so and how like how long each day do you spend writing? It, it varies. Um, I try to write every day, but I'm not disciplined about it. It just sort of me neither. Yeah, it's hard to be disciplined about it. But there are certain writers that works for them. I like to I jot down a bunch of notes throughout the day, and then usually late at night, it all kind of gels together. You write by hand. I do. I keep little notebooks everywhere. I do that too. I use actually I used to do that with jokes, and now I because of technology i just kind of talk into my iphone yeah and then you know at the end of the month i look in my voice memos and it says like toilet <laughs> brush and i'm like what the fuck is toilet brush and then i, I have that problem yeah. <laughs> and i suddenly play it um the, your stories are are, are are very vivid some of them are really very searing and the, the one that affected me the most on an emotional level was one called surrender dorothy which takes place in Dystopian. dystopian not so f far off future in mm -hmm. fact you kind of reference donald trump in the story and i wrote it before he was actually president which hurts to say but oh, did, <laughs> you, did you know he was gonna win i really thought he wasn't i really had yeah. no i was blindsided i think it's, we all were it's still yeah. like so, i mean every single day there's just a moment where you're kind of like is this really yeah. happening a moment of horror yeah <laughs> In your it's story, like waking up from a bad dream and then over and over and realizing yeah. it's real. In your story, Surrender, Dorothy, I don't, I don't know how much you want to sort of give away, but um, it takes place in a in an America where abortion is has become completely illegal, except for one very specific circumstance in which you can get an abortion. Did you mean? Did you set out to write something that was overtly political? Because it's really the only story. In the, in the collection that felt political to me? Um, I didn't set out to write it as a political story, but I was watching all these news, um, news stories about women's rights being taken away, reproductive rights, the Planned Parenthood stuff that happened recently. And so that was kind of the genesis of imagining this world where this worst case scenario would happen, which is, becomes the best case scenario for this particular character. So that was the... Genesis and when you when you write stories like these because they are you know there's a there's a lot of pain and hurt in these stories do you but hopefully humor too 
Well, <laughs> I, we'll get to that in a second because okay. one of the stories made me laugh out loud. Okay. But do you? Is it cathartic for you? Do you? Is it kind of a form of therapy for you to get all of this out on 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 the page? Well, more than a form of therapy, I always like to capture certain things that meant something to me. So it's more like a diary for me in a lot of ways. So certain characters represent certain characters or people that were in my life. Um, so in that way, I guess it is therapeutic, but. You know, it's not it's not a memoir or anything like that. Right. So the the feelings get out, but not the necessarily the. Well, that's what I find myself wondering as I read it. Is I'm thinking like, who did he know that was like this? Like, did you know a, a guy? A lot of my friends think that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like, did you know a guy who was gay but wound up in a relationship with a woman, sort of haphazardly, as, uh, well, as in one of your stories? That story was loosely based on upstairs neighbors that I had in Chicago years and years and years ago. Um, so I just remembered this couple they were very vivid um and i i projected my own story on top of their relationship but yeah and they would often come home late at night he would be in a dog collar on a leash she would be in this goth dominatrix yeah (laughs) and they would ryan's getting turned on (laughs) tell me more (laughs) and we would just chat in the hallway and yeah and you got the sense that he was definitely gay yes and that she didn't know or knew or I think she knew, and that was probably part of their dynamic. I, I'm not, I don't know for sure. They were both very lovely people, and hopefully not listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Has anyone reached out to you, um, e- either in your, your novel or in, or in these short stories? Has anyone come from your past come forward and said, listen, I know you're writing about me, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny that cer- certain people say, oh, did I tell you this story? Because it, And it's not even... Get a little closer to the mic. I'm I'm sorry. sorry. It's not even remotely connected to the story that I actually wrote. Um, So I think they read it and then they remember something in their own lives and apply it. So, oh, thank you. JB is is (laughs) arranging the mic directly in front of your mouth. It's going to improve my posture. As a gay man, man, you should be able to handle this large, thick (laughs) microphone in front of your mouth. One of your... Uh, one of my favorite stories in the book and you know very rarely do I laugh out loud at things when I'm reading um, but I loved the Island of Misfit Toys can you kind of set that up for us oh it's um, it's set around Thanksgiving time uh, it's a bunch of New Yorkers who couldn't go home to be with their families so it's their makeshift family um, and a lot of complex relationships devolving during the course of the night of all the stories in the book it, it had the most dialogue yeah, and it started out as a play. Well, that's what I was wondering, because I know you're also a playwright. Yeah. And I think you have such a gift for dialogue. Oh, thank you. There, that there was so much sort of snappy um, patter and a lot of shade being thrown in this story. There's a drag queen. There's a gay couple that's having, you know, jealousy issues. There's a straight couple that are both drug users. I will like, say that none of my friends identified themselves in that story. No, so. <laughs> I don't believe that. Right. So... Uh, one of the characters is named Pablo, and he suffers from spontaneous nosebleeds. And uh, there's a drag queen named Ladida. Am I saying that? Ladida. Ladida. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> I thought it was Ladida. <laughs> Ladida. So this is my favorite. This is the one where I was on the subway with my headphones on reading your book, and I just started cracking up very loudly. That's what every writer wants to hear. <laughs> Ladida's theory is that stress triggers it, meaning the nosebleeds. Though secretly, we all suspect that Pablo might be using too much cocaine. At Ladida's Halloween party, he and Roger kept pairing off to use the bathroom and would pop back out like toy snakes out of a can. 
As Ladida says, that boy was born with a silver spoon in his nose. That's just such a great image. The snakes popping out of a can. <laughs> These two coked up queens coming out of a bathroom. Right. That was actually based on a real life It's got to be. We've all been there. We've, I've been those snakes, and I've also been those drag queens. The observer, and I've been the drag queen. Yeah. Very, no, very rarely have I been the drag queen. You were a drag queen this year. Yes. Well, I was turned. At, Ryan and I are in the New York City Gay Men's Chorus together. Yes. And I was uh, I was voted by the membership to be turned into a drag queen in our Sh- annual. Shatanya? I was Shatanya face, <laughs> <laughs> and I had a professional queen do my hair and makeup. You know what's really funny? Gay men love... There's this, like, trend recently of, like... And, and you love to do this, of, like, creating drag names. I don't know if that's always been a thing. I think it's always been I a think, thing. I think, yeah. Is it's always it's been yeah. in our DNA. It's just, like, we just love... That's, like, a sport. Actually, I just saw the revival of Torch Song Trilogy uh. last night, um, which they're now calling Torch Song because it's not really a trilogy anymore. It's just two acts. And um, I know the play by heart because I did it in college, and I also just have read the play so many times. They changed one of the drag queen names. In the, in the opening monologue, Arnold uh, says, you know, my performing name is Virginia Ham," And then he goes through other names that he's had. And one is Birth of a Nation. <laughs> and, uh, and he's supposed to say Loretta Dung, which is a, a takeoff on Loretta Young. Mm-hmm. And even when we did the play in the 90s, none of us knew who Loretta Young was. Like, that's really going back. So maybe... The, because they thought audiences wouldn't know that anymore. They changed it to Bang Bang Ladesh, <laughs> which I don't think is great. No. I mean, I, it, it makes more sense to me than Loretta Dung, because I don't know who Loretta right. Young is, but it's, yeah. it's weak. She was a figure in the 50s. She had she hosted her own... I think it, she was a movie actress who wound up her own TV show, variety show. Yeah, the Loretta Young show. Yeah. She's kind of a blonde, bland, <laughs> Midwestern blonde type. Blonde. Yes. But, uh, but I thought that was interesting. Why do you look at me when you say that? <laughs> oh, are you Midwestern? I am. Where did you grow up? Well, I mean, I'm not sure it's technically mis- Midwest, but it's Columbus, Ohio. I was born, and then I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. Columbus. Do you? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's changed city. quite a bit since yeah. I was born. Is that the gay club there? It, yes. Access. Which was not there when I was. I went to Ohio State University. Or the Ohio State University. I went State to University, University of Michigan, so oh, we're, we're supposed to hate each other. <laughs> yeah. If if I gave well, a shit about over football, then. yeah. Goodbye. My dad is actually the voice of the Buckeyes. So. Oh, really? Yeah. What a cool job that is. Yeah. So, were you a, a huge cool sports family growing up? Uh, yeah, my mom loves football as well, and my dad was voice of the Buckeyes, and I never went to a single game when I was <laughs> in the Ohio State University. Well, I just find football boring. Me I too. like other sports, but. You know, my freshman year at Michigan... Dad, sorry. I bought season tickets because everyone did. It was just kind of the thing to do. And after going to every game for a year, I was like, the only thing I'm interested in are the male cheerleaders <laughs> who are beautiful and incredible athletes. Like, the male cheerleaders... And energetic. ...at Michigan are, are better athletes than the football players at my high school. Right. They were incredibly buff, and it turned out they were all gay. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> so when did, you, when did you come to the big city? Uh, I moved here, God, 17 years ago. Long wow. time ago. Yeah, that is a long time ago. Yep. Was it I've a been alive a long time. Was it since the Reddit Young Header show? <laughs> no, you would not. I don't <laughs> think that's possible. I think you m- might be younger than I am. Okay. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's have say that. Now we have to know. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 47. I'm 46? Oh, very close. Yeah. All right. So 1970? Yep. You don't remember. I was born in the young. 70s. <laughs> so, But you remember Lost in Space? Oh, sure. I remember all those quotes that you just played. All those characters. Snagglepuss and... Isn't it so funny that when we were growing up... Olympics. We would have to kind of 
look for the subtext to figure out if a character was gay, and now they're just gay. And I do remember thinking, not necessarily that that character was gay, but that there was something there. There was an attraction to that character. Yeah. yeah. Which like, is, it's weird. I it's always weird. loved Paul Lind. I always loved yeah. Snagglepuss. Before I knew what gay was, or before I knew that I was gay, there's something about that, the, the sensibility, yeah. the sense of humor. I always loved camp. And Ryan, of course. I mean, but you came out when you were like 13, but right? But the thing is, it's interesting <laughs> now that, because for me, you know, Will and Grace was, that was the show that taught me everything that I know about, you know, gay culture. Because what year were you born, Ryan? 1991. <laughs> so, oh like, when Will and Grace started, he was like five. Yeah. Okay. Well. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. No, but like, but it's so, but it's interesting because that was a huge turning point in TV for, you know, yeah, gay yeah. characters and the show that was my outlet you know that was the only thing that i mean i was going into the city i was seeing broadway shows i was in hell's kitchen but that was the that was something that i was like oh these are gay characters and and i didn't know anything about no one was teaching me about gay culture and that was that show and now it's back and you know i mean you're so lucky to have that right i mean i find that kind of interesting because i'm like two years younger than you and before it was all in great i I was watching just had this man out. Queer as Folk. There we go. It was Queer as Folk. Oh, yeah. We I had Scott Lowe on the show. Scott Lowe. We had Scott Lowe, and it's Queer as Folk that started me into the into Will and Grace. That was a lot. Yeah. Queer as Folk. I remember seeing the yeah. advertisements for it as a kid, and because it, it was on Showtime, so I didn't have I didn't have Showtime, but I remember seeing, like, pictures of the cast and thinking, like, oh, my God. Like, that to me was, Right. Like, there's something hot going on here. <laughs> oh, they were all beautiful. You know, so, for David yeah, and were. me, you know, we're, we're 20 years older than you guys, if anytime we could just get a little glimpse and and speaking of of literature you know i had this very weird thing where my mother i come from a family of readers especially my mom and mm. so she would read a book a novel and then she would tell the rest of us like oh you have to read this novel and we would pass it around me and my sisters my parents and uh you know that was how i ended up reading um the prince of tides and the world according to garp and all these like great novels that mm-hmm. came out in the 80s and one of them that she said oh you must read this was the lost language of cranes i remember that david Leavitt's seminal gay yep. novel of the 80s which is about a a gay father and son who both come out during the course of the novel and neither of whom knows that the other is gay it was so controversial at the time. Oh, my God. And I was like 14, and my mom's like, oh, read this. And now she claims now she had no idea that, <laughs> that I was gay. But I think that was sort of her way of saying, like, hey, oh, yeah. you need to know about this shit. Hmm. That's interesting. Nice. Was he an influence of yours as well? Uh, not him particularly. I mean, it, it, that book certainly was memorable at that time. I didn't get to it until I was about 18, 19. Because um, I grew up in a very small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so these kinds of things were not... When did you come out? Accessible. I came out officially when I was 23. Ooh, that's late. Yes. It was my first kiss, my first boyfriend, my first everything. Wow. And up until then, were you dating women? Nope. I was studying. (laughs) I was reading. Were you a gold star? Uh, Yeah, I guess that's what makes a gold star. Never had the vagina? Nope. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) I have. But I had many, many female friends growing up, and I still do. I'm the same people are still in my life so it and then they pop up in your stories they possibly clearly (laughs) david i want to play a game with you that uh we're now playing with all of our guests it's called ask me no questions ass me no questions i'm terrible at games for adam sanction it's very easy all you have to do is answer some uh some very uh some questions that are shot at you in rapid fire manner but you can take as long as you want on the take the dare 
Dare would be to take off your clothes immediately. Okay, I'll try the questions. Which, because this studio is rather warm, would <laughs> that would feel a pleasure for yes. you. Okay, number one, the one food you will never eat. Rabbit. Okay, good answer. Ryan, Do you, is there any food you would never eat? As of right now, no. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I'm vegan myself, so okay. it would be pretty much any kind of uh, meat, especially pork. Uh, number two, your guilty pleasure TV show. Um, I don't really do guilty pleasures, but um, designing women, I watch the reruns all the time. That's a guilty Does pleasure. That count? Sure, <laughs> absolutely. I don't. I mean, I'm imagining. But that was such a great show. I mean, I imagine guilty pleasures are more well like shame based. It's not masterpiece <laughs> theater, right? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was campy and silly, yeah. but it was well-written and well-acted. Yeah. And I picture you as like this serious writer who's like, you know, your TV is too frivolous for you. Oh, no, I watch tons of TV. <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite non-guilty pleasure TV show? Um, I like a lot of things right now. The Handmaid's Tale, I just finished watching. You have to start that. There's so, much, there's so much out there. It's hard to pick. Sense8, I liked a lot. So yeah. you're like a binge watcher? Yeah. You'll I actually don't like the binge quality to it. I like to savor them. Like mm-hmm. week by week, but yeah, I do too. I have to say, yeah, I'm a traditionalist with TV. Yeah. It's really changed the form of mm. it's so unhealthy. writing. It is unhealthy to stay on your sofa for three days and watch yeah. every. What else becomes a matter of just getting through it? Right. Wait. So the days that you guys have nothing to do, you have no plans, you will just sit there and binge watch. That's what binge watching is for. I live for binge watching. I, I prefer masturbation <laughs> on those days. No, on well, those days, I, I always find there's always something to do. It's like clean the house or cook something that i'm going to eat all week read a (laughs) read david james parr's oh my god what the hell is the name of this how to survive overwhelming loss and loneliness in five easy steps and by the way we should say it's a rather thin volume you can get through the whole thing in a day if you You can binge that if you you want binge on that so much healthier (laughs) okay david describe a sexual experience you wish you could forget oh god (laughs) really this is where we get intense (laughs) here on the ass um I had an ill-fated three-way in Chicago um, years ago. What was ill-fated about it? Uh, it became quickly apparent that I I was just arbitrary to the, <laughs> the three-way. It was a, two guys who wanted to have sex um, but didn't know how to communicate that to each other. And I knew one of them, so they involved me and then it just got complicated. I hate, complicated. I hate, when, you're, I hate when you're the uninvited guest at your own like, three-way. Well, this was your idea. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, I've yeah, been in those is. three ways for sure. Usually when it's me and my boyfriend at the time and a third, it's like, oh, you just want to have sex with my boyfriend. Yeah. And I'm just along for the That's ride. That's just a two-way. That's just <laughs> a two-way. Exactly. Um, what was your worst subject in school? Uh, physics. I never even took it. Don't, never don't, got don't bother. Physics. It's really hard. Why, do, why, why are kids forced to learn so much math and science? You know what? I don't know if they are anymore. I, I, I just want to say that as someone who is 26 and, and trying to navigate my way through life, I would have really appreciated some like essential, you know, like classes that really you can apply yourself. Thank you. Apply. I mean, like, taxes, like home economics insurance. is more useful than physics. Sure. Yeah. I, I feel like that. you did. You took yeah. home ec. What, yeah. That was also bake? controversial because <laughs> <laughs> you were the only dude. Yeah. And how to do a cross stitch. I don't think we even had home ec at my school because I, I would have a sewing machine. When I took home ec in middle school, oh. I'm bad gay. Were, were you <laughs> hoping to be on Project Runway? Uh, you know I am. You know I wish I could. <laughs> oh wait, that's my guilty pleasure. We're Project Runway. Yeah. So we haven't. Well, Ryan and I are hu- hugely addicted, and we always watch together. 
and uh, we haven't watched the latest episode, so we don't know what the cheating scandal is, or, or we know what it is, but we don't know how it's going to resolve. Yeah. Have, Have you, you watched that far? I haven't seen the latest <gasps> one either, so. Okay, it's all about these two twins from Michigan <laughs> who are fucking insane. Oh no, oh, no, I've seen it up to the point where they were... Oh, oh face off. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's where I am. So... Are they the most annoying contestants oh my in God. Project Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Hashtag indeed. <laughs> no, but, but what I think about high school is high school should be taught the way college is taught. In the sense that when you're in ninth grade, you should declare a major or maybe two majors and say like, I'm a humanities person or I'm a language person or I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a scientist. And you should only take classes that help you learn that field. This business of like, like, I wound up in AP, AB Calculus, which was an AP course. I took that, too. I am so useless at math. I never got higher than a C for any year of math that I took. And the reason I wound up in Calculus is just because th- that's where I was. They just right. kept moving forward. Well, they imposed it on you. Yeah. Because yeah. you were doing well. And, and I was, like, I was really They wanted hard. to humiliate you at some yeah. point. <laughs> well, I was a hardworking student. I did my homework. I read the book. I listened in class. I couldn't do math. I was never going to be good at it. So it was just so frustrating to be forced to take this thing that I sucked at, yeah. that I knew I was never going to use. Why do they do that? Yeah. So let me take more languages. I, I, I was great at Spanish. I would have loved to have taken French too. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, well, me unfortunately, too. Uh, Betsy DeVos is not going right. <laughs> to help, <laughs> help us uh, make that any better. Oh, by the way, David, I have to tell you, uh, and you may already, this may have been intentional. So in the Island of Misfit Toys, I wrote myself a note. Uh-huh. There's an error, Uh-oh. but it may be on purpose. <laughs> When it, the char- when, it, indeed. When the, when, the, <laughs> when the characters are discussing the Christmas special, A Year Without a Santa Claus, which is my favorite one, they refer to one of the characters in the special as Heat Monster. But it's you know his name was Heat Miser. Yeah, yeah. You knew it's, that, right? No. That, wa- that was actually deliberate. All right. Just had <laughs> to point it out. Uh, and finally... Thanks for catching that. Th- well, please. It's my favorite special. Uh, finally, what was my last question? Oh, your personal motto or slogan in life. Oh, it... I mean, this might sound kind of corny. This was something my uh, grandmother used to say all the time was um, live each day like it's not like it's your last day, but like it's the person you're with's last day. Oh. So it's something I try to That's a remember. bummer. Well, <laughs> it's sweet. It. Yeah. You guys can find out more about David on his website, which is davidjamesparr.com, P-A-A-R. His latest book P-A-R-R, is uh, P-A-R-R. Is it? I wrote it down wrong. P-A-R-R. Don't listen to me. I'm drunk. (laughs) Uh, His latest book is How to Survive Overwhelming Loss and Loneliness in Five Easy Steps. It is available wherever fine books are sold. Um, And we should say also that you have an upcoming play. Uh, uh, You had a play that's being turned into a feature film called Eleanor Rigby is Waiting. Correct. When does that come out? Uh, They just finished post-production on it. We're going to do the premiere, I think, in early December. But it won't be released until uh, early next year. So fucking awesome. exciting. It is. David it's James Parr, thank you for joining us on The Ass. Thank you. Uh, do you have a Twitter uh, that people can follow you at as well? Yeah, it's Parr Fiction. And that's P-A-R-R. Correct. Fiction. Right. And you have a Facebook uh, fan page as well. Yeah, David James Parr Fiction. On Facebook. So yep. check him out. He's handsome. He's Aww. a great writer. He once had a terrible three-way. <laughs> In Chicago. In Chicago, of all places. And great we thank team. him for, for being our guest. And I want to thank Ryan Frostig for being my co-host these past two weeks. Thank you for having me. And to JB for doing such a fabulous job producing Solo without Katie. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at Adam Sank. Next week, our guests are pro wrestler Anthony Bowens and his adorable boyfriend, Michael Pavano. 
Uh, I'm obsessed with them. They will be here. Download my comedy album, Adam Sank Live from the Stonewall Inn. Have a great week, bitches, and thank you so much for listening. <laughs>